Let's pray together as we continue worship this morning. Father, thank you that you are our God and you're the God of restoration. Lord, we know that you have done the work needed to bring restoration to our hearts, to our lives, to our future for all eternity with you. We know this work has been done for us by you and your love and your gift, by your grace. You gave yourself, your son, Jesus, to live that we might have right standing before you on the basis of his obedience and merit, to die that we might have forgiveness and cleansing of iniquity and transgression and sin as we repent and believe upon you Jesus you forgive you cleanse you make us new your son was buried but after three days he was raised to new life and he lives today with great power to bring new life for all who believe Lord, we thank you that you are our God of restoration. And Lord, our hope is in you. Today, Lord, we ask that you speak to us, that we might know you more, that we might grow deeper in relationship with you, and Lord, grow to become more like you. Thank you for your, your Holy Spirit, and God, we just pray for your working in our midst. Through your living word and your living spirit, Lord, would you work today that we might know more of you as we listen to your voice. Thank you, Lord, for the sufficiency of your grace. Lord, I know that there are many needs that are here today in our lives, uh, our community, and our world. And Lord, we just choose right now to surrender those things to you. We thank you that you are a good father, that we can trust you. We thank you, Lord, for the promise and the assurance of your love. We thank you, Lord, for your present help in time of trouble. So, Lord, we just release, choosing not to be anxious, but in everything, Lord, now with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, Lord, we just let these requests be known to you. And, God, we ask that you give us your presence and you guard us with your peace, peace that surpasses understanding according to your power and your presence with us. Thank you, Father, and we commit all these things to you. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church family, and good morning to those at home. Hello. Everybody enjoying the snow week? There are way more people here in the room, just so y'all know, at home than I expected. I think we're all tired of being inside. What do y'all think? Yes. Uh, for those who could not join us today, we do miss you here, but I'm so thankful that you're with us this morning. If you've got your Bibles, uh, I would encourage you to get them open to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 is where we're going to be today, and we're going to be finishing this mini-series um, called A Longing for Restoration. We've been walking through uh, this book of Nehemiah, and we've been talking about the season that we're currently in, which is the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday was this past Wednesday. It marked the beginning of the 40 days that leads up to the day of Easter. And I know that it may not feel to you a whole lot like Easter's coming because of uh, how cold and snowy it is here in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, but the reality is uh, this is a season in our lives as Christians that has a special significance and that really brings special opportunity one for anticipation and hope, and another for, for preparation and renewal. And as we journey toward Easter, we have the opportunity to really seek God in a special way and to really desire to know more of Him and His suffering for us and to grow in such a way that our hearts can be more yielded to Him I know that in this season, personally, um, in this past year, there is a lot uh, that has happened in our lives. And I know the rhythms of our life have been anything but normal. And one of the things that I have really been 
desiring in my own personal Lenten season, and I don't know about y'all, but it's to be honest, just to be honest with God and with myself about kind of where I am um, in relationship to God and, and then where He desires me to be. And to really evaluate what has been lost in this past season and what in my life really needs to be restored. And I don't know if y'all have taken this seriously. I really believe that you you have. I've heard many, many stories over the last few weeks, and I'm so grateful for the teaching that uh, Tom gave last week as we were in the midst of this journey. But I really hope, if you haven't done it already, that you would really make this personal and really evaluate in your own heart, like, where is restoration needed right now in your life? Where is it needed? What are you desiring from God in this season as we journey toward um, just the, the significance of the days of what He did for us in His death and His burial and His resurrection? We have a God of restoration. Jesus is a restoring God. One of God's names is Jehovah Rapha, which means that God is our healer. We studied it back in the spring, and I've talked about it several times in my time as pastor here at the church, but it's one of the sweetest names that I cling to um, just knowing the Lord. Because the name literally means He takes what is bitter and broken in our lives and He can make it sweet. He can bring repair. Much like a broken wall, like we've been talking about in these past weeks of Nehemiah, God literally can bring repair to our minds, to our hearts, most importantly, to our souls and our relationship with Him. We all experience different levels of brokenness. As we take stock in our lives, we will find in every season areas of disarray, areas where things are just out of order, areas where things are seemingly broken down. And I really believe in our, in our journey through this past year there have been some things that have just, just broken down. And what I have desired to do week after week in this mini-series is to just remind us that we have a God who can bring restoration. Just look to the cross. By His wounds, the Scripture says, we are healed. Look to the empty tomb. Believe upon Him and seek Him for who He is and what He can do. So in this series, what we've been trying to do is set up this season. And this season being one where, again, it's on you. It's between you and God. It's not something I can do for you, but it's something that we've been trying to lead you toward pastorally is to say, what is your opportunity in this special season to seek God for his restoration? What are the areas that you can just go to God with honesty and say, "Here's, here's where, Lord, I need your healing Here's where I need your touch. Here's how, Lord, I I want you to be involved repairing me. So we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, and what we've been saying is in these last two weeks that, that really God begins his work within us. God begins his work within us. And we've been praying this prayer, God, would you prepare my heart for renewal? God, would you restore me? Like the 23rd Psalm says, he restores my soul. This is what God does. He restores our souls. So we've been praying, God, would you restore me? And we've been talking in the last few weeks about, you know, what does it look like to experience restoration? And that's why I love this book of Nehemiah. Hopefully you've been with us, but if you haven't, you could go back and uh, look at some of the uh, two previous weeks we've been journeying through this. But we've been walking through um, kind of the process of of, of God's restoring work in our, in our hearts and our lives and, and how it begins within us. Nehemiah, of course, um, gets word that the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down, that things are in disrepair. The enemy of God has, has caused chaos in the city of Jerusalem, and things are not good. And Nehemiah hears the news, and what we realize is that the process of restoration begins with brokenness. It begins with taking an honest evaluation of how things are and then an, an, a, a biblical vision of how God desires for things to be and where there's a gap. The first thing that we do 
is that we go to God and we're just honest and we're broken over that. And we've said in previous weeks, the first step for you, if you haven't gotten here, you can't move on from here. When's the last time you were broken over your sin? When's the last time you were really broken over your circumstance? Where, where you really got to a point. Listen, I was uh, this past week in Georgia with my family. Many of you guys know that because you're praying for me. My grandfather died of COVID last week. My dad has been in and out of the hospital with a really serious infection. He's still fighting it. We're still praying for it. But I sat across the table uh, from my dad um, at lunch uh, one day that I was there in Atlanta to serve them and just to be with them in this time. And he and I were talking about just how how interesting it is. Life can be hard sometimes. Problems can feel overwhelming sometimes. Sin can creep up so greatly at times. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We all know it. But, but all of this is meant to lead us to a point where we say, God, I can't. I need you. God, this is, this is, this is overwhelming. This is beyond me. This is, it's meant to lead us to a point of brokenness. And I have seen just in the last week with my own family, and this is the testimony of my whole life, and this is the testimony of Nehemiah, but when you go to God with brokenness, you will begin to have opportunity to experience God's faithfulness. When you really go to God and you say, God, this is a mess. God, I don't even know how to move on from here. God, would you help me? This is overwhelming. God, I can't. When you go to God with that kind of honesty, and you see it like he sees it, and you feel it like he feels it, and you're willing to be surrendered, that's when the process of restoration begins. But you don't get restoration until you've experienced the first step, which is brokenness before the Lord. But that brokenness leads us, this is why this is why it's the beginning of restoration, is when the brokenness leads us to cry out to God. And we see that with Nehemiah. He, he's overcome with mourning and grief over what should be that isn't, but he goes straight to God. Rather than fixing it himself, he moves to the Lord, and he cries out to God for who God is and what he knows God can do and what he knows God has promised, and he just pleads with the Lord. When's the last time you really went to God and you said, I give, it, I, I give you everything? There is no plan B. There is no, God, if you don't, then I'll do this. No, it's God, if you don't, I have nothing. I give you everything, God. I'm crying out from the bottom of my soul, God, would you do this work? This is the process of restoration, brokenness to dependence. But then last week, as Tom talked, he talked about how this dependence has got to move toward a willingness. It's not just, God, would you, would you just do this work? But God, just like Isaiah prayed, here I am, Lord, send me. God, would you allow me to be willing to do whatever it looks like to cooperate with, with how you are working in me, how you are leading me, how you are moving? A willingness to be involved. And then, not just a willingness, but an understanding that there are some things that as God, as we cry out to God, and He begins His restorative work in us, and He's leading us, and He's moving, there's some things that He asks us to be a part of, to cooperate with the work that He desires to do. And I loved how Tom talked about this last Sunday, and again, if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and look at it. You know, one of the things he said is, if you're looking for a special word from God, I believe Tom said, then have you thought about just opening your Bible? <laughs> you know? Um, if you're, there, there are so many things that as we cry out to God, we recognize he's already given us basic instructions of, of things that we are to take responsibility to do as we seek him. Well, this is again, been what we've been talking about in the last few weeks. And before we move on, I just want to again ask you, where are you crying out for God's restoration? And as you look at these, these things that we know God desires in us, where are you here in the process? And what would it look like for you in this season ahead to really 
to really be moving toward God in brokenness and dependence and willingness and taking initiative for the things that He's already plainly instructed, those basic spiritual disciplines of our life that so often we tend to neglect. Where are you in the process? I believe that God wants to do a restoring work in you. I do. And I'm asking, how is it that you desire to experience God's restoration? Well, today, as we get to Nehemiah chapter 3, we're going to be turning the corner to have a conversation together about what this looks like for us as a, as a whole church. Up to this point, we've been kind of talking about you individually. This has been a very personal journey. But there's a, a conversation that we, are, we need to have based on God's Word here in chapter 3 that relates to really not just God's work beginning in us, but God's work extending through us. Because you see, as we experience God's restoring work in us, what we begin to realize is that we have opportunity, an incredible opportunity, to be a part of extending God's restoration to others, to together being a part of just being a people that lives with a sincere heart to contribute to seeing restoration come, not just in our own lives, but in other people's lives. For those who are sitting around this morning, you know, you look around this room, I'm looking around the room. For those of you who are at home, you look around the room, wherever you are, if there's others with you, or maybe you bring people to mind, and you begin to realize that that restoration is needed not only in my own life, but restoration is needed in other people's lives. And how is it that together we can be on a journey toward experiencing the restoration of God corporately in our community and in our world? And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today, our prayer. God, give me opportunity to be a part of your renewing work in the world that you might receive glory from my life. Nehemiah chapter 3, you might have wondered, are we ever going to get to the actual passage of the day? And the answer is yes, we're going to get to it right now. I'm going to tell you there's a lot of strange names in the text today, all right? So um, bear with me. I studied Hebrew for two years as part of my education and my master's program, preparation for ministry, but I am no Hebrew expert. So I'm going to butcher a lot of names this morning, no offense to the, to the names that are in here, but I would encourage you to follow along. Um, because there are so many names in the text today, you could have a temptation to just check out and go, oh, when is this passage going to be over? But please don't do that. I believe what God says, and that is every word of Scripture is profitable for us. Every word is breathed out by God. And I don't know if y'all ever get to passages in the Old Testament sometimes and you go, skip this. Anybody ever do that? And you just go, man, oh man, what is the profit of this? Well, there is profit to it. And we're going to talk about that profit after we get through with this passage today. But hang with us, and I would encourage you, just, just be attentive, because these are God's words. Nehemiah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, and they set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hanasseh built the fish gate, they laid its beams, and they set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakos, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Bechariah, son of Meshelzebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bainar, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joidai, the son of Pesai and Meshulam, the son of Besodai, repaired the gate of Yashana. They laid its beams and they set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Malatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jodan, the Maranathite, 
the men of Gibeon and Mitzpah, the seed of the governor of province beyond the river. Next to them, Uzziel, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired. And next to him, Haniah, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And next to them, Jediah, the son of Hurmoth, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Atush, the son of Hashabinah, repaired. Malkia, the son of Hiram, and Hasub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of Ovens. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Haloish, ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchiah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolholze, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah and the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half of the district of Bethzur, repaired at a point opposite of the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rechum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kela, repaired for the district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Hananad, ruler of half the district of Kela. Next to him, Izer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mitzpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishab the priest. After him, Meramoth, the son of Uzziah, son of Hakoz, repaired another section of the door of the house from Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men surrounding the area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired the opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Masai, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. And after him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower protecting the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. And after him, Padiah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth of Zalaf, repaired another section. And after him, Mesholam, the son of Bechariah, repaired opposite his chamber. And after him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the master gate, the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Asked a lot of other people to read this passage today, and nobody volunteered. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a lot, isn't it? You might go, well, how is the Word of God profitable for us in this chapter? And man, oh man, am I glad that you asked. See, one of the most beautiful things, you know, I was thinking about it just this past weekend um, as I had opportunity to be with my family to serve them in a time of need. I, I kid you not, I was literally thinking, how cool is it, God? This, is, this was in my private time, not in front of my parents, but I literally was thinking, God, you have served me so well 
and you have brought restoration to me in so many ways, and how cool is it? I was just overjoyed to be there for the days that I was there, and I was literally thinking, how cool is it that God allows us to be a part of helping other people? How cool is it that, that it's not just all about like what God does for me? Yes, it is about that, and we are only recipients. It's by grace we've been saved. It's nothing that we do, okay? But we get the opportunity to live a life of purpose. We get to live in such a way that we get to be a part of things that matter, like really matter for all eternity. We get to be vessels of God's restoration in the lives of other people. And together, as a church, together we get to be a part of the work that God is desiring to do to bring great glory to His name and great good to His people. Up to this point, Nehemiah, what started as a kind of a, a, a process of restoration beginning within him, him understanding what needed to be done, being broken over it, going to God in prayer, being willing, taking responsibility for what he could, but what he begins to realize is as he goes out and he surveys these broken walls of Jerusalem, and he sees a vision, God wants to bring restoration to this city, but he realizes this is not going to happen on my own. Nehemiah on his own was not going to be able to accomplish the fullness of restoration that those walls needed. He realized that this was going to have to happen with, together with the people of God. Everybody's going to have to get on the same page about what's needed. And together, they were going to have the opportunity to take what had begun within them and then begin to extend it through them. Did, did you see what's happening here? There's three things that I want to teach you this morning, that I've, three ways that I believe this, this passage is profitable for us, and I think all of them have real application for us, because honestly, if there's anything, um, as we're evaluating this past year, one of the things that I, I really believe that all of us have the opportunity to evaluate is, is how we ourselves may have drifted from kind of because of the circumstances that we've all been forced into, isolation and just kind of focusing on ourselves and getting through and what's needed to be done and maintaining distance. If there's anything that we have to evaluate, I, I believe one of them is, is, are we really connected, like personally connected to purpose? Do we, do we have, have we found our place in the wall? Or have we maybe lost our place this past season? And one of the things I believe that we get to do together is to evaluate how it is that God in this upcoming season might want to bring restoration to our purpose, to our place on the wall. Three things that I want to talk about, uh, the message title today, Together Toward Restoration. Three things we can see from the passage. And the first one is this. If we are going to work together toward restoration, it involves one purpose. It involves one purpose. If you remember back to chapter 2, verse 47, if you go back to, uh, to that, not 47, verse 17, if you go back to that verse in chapter 2, one of the things you remember Nehemiah saying is, you see the trouble we're in. He's rallied the people together. He's rallied his, the other people of God, and he's saying to him, don't you see? Aren't you broken too? Don't you see the trouble we're in? Don't you see the work that needs to be done? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Lift up your eyes, Jesus said to his disciples. Look, the harvest is plentiful. Look at the opportunities for restoration all around you. This is what Nehemiah is saying. He's going, do can you see, if, can you look beyond yourself and just look around and see brokenness that is around us? Do you have a vision for restoration? And then he rallies them and he says, come, let us, not come and watch me build the wall. No, he's saying, hey, will you come? You know, God, God broke my heart, has moved me to dependence, and I'm working in my own life to trust Him for restoration. But I'm wondering, are you with me in this too? Let us, this is a, a joint thing, let us do what? Build the wall of Jerusalem 
that we may no longer suffer derision. They had a common purpose. If we're going to work together toward restoration, we all have to to come together and to be of, of one mind and one heart as we look out and we say, you know what? We, we are people that have experienced the greatness of God's grace, His restoring grace in our hearts and lives, and we together, together, you and I, all of us together, as the church of God, the people of God, right here in Memphis, in this time and this place, we are going to be about looking for ways that together we can be a part of bringing restoration to the brokenness in other people's lives, the brokenness of our community, the brokenness of our world. Let us come. Let us get together. Get our hearts together. Get our prayers together. Get our wills together. And let's be determined to be a church that heralds the restoration of God and that does anything and everything possible to see that restoration come in our time, in our place. May it be said of our generation here in Memphis at ICC that we together were of one heart and mind for a common purpose to make much of God, to bring glory to His name by doing what we can do practically to love and to serve, and to contribute, and to be a part. We've got to have that kind of singular vision. We see this all through the pages of Scripture. You know, Jesus gave us a very clear vision for what we're to be about in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to us. Go and make disciples. Bring other people into relationship with me. Help other people experience my restoration. I mean, this, this was not just a command to one of us. This is a command to all of us. And because it's a command to all of us, we all have the same, we, we, we all have the same commission. We, we, we're all on the same team. We all have the same objective and purpose. And God says, um, I want you to recognize that like in this work, you, you are to live your life in such a way to bring others in a relationship with me, but look around. This is not a solo project. Let us do this together. And we see the pattern in the church. And um, what it calls us for us to do is to really recognize that if we're going to be together in restoration, we must be unified. The reality is, because it involves one purpose, we see over and over and over God encouraging us and asking of us as we are working to take our place in the process of restoration, God is saying, I want you to be unified with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to pray, God, give us one heart, one mind, one purpose together. In the early church, in Acts chapter 2, we see that they, the people after they were saved, after they had experienced their own redemption, they had been restored, they came together and they devoted themselves to teaching and to the, break, the, the fellowship and communion and, break, and, and, and meals and prayers. And all came upon every soul and signs and wonders were being done. And it says here, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were together. They had a common, they had a common purpose. They didn't live life as a solo project. They live life very much in the mindset that we're in this together. And if, if downtown and uptown and Mud Island, if youth and if older people and black people and white people and educated and non-educated and rich and poor, if we're going to see restoration come, it, it's going to be because we're working together, because we have a common purpose and we're going at it together. Acts chapter 4 echoes this from Acts chapter 2, and it says the full number of those who were believed were of one heart and one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was their own. They had everything in common. Philippians 2 verses 1 and 2 says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love and being in full accord 
and of one mind. God desires for us to be unified. He desires for us to be unified. There wasn't a single person out there working on that wall in Nehemiah's day that was confused about what they were doing. They had a vision. They knew that their, the end goal was to see a completed wall. And when they got together from the beginning all the way to the end, they, they were single-minded in their purpose to see that wall built. And as a church, there shouldn't be any of us wondering what it is that we're doing. We've got to have a single mind to bring great glory to God and good to people as we bring people into relationship with Jesus. That is our purpose together. We say as a mission statement here, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact the world. We desire to see transformation come to people's lives that leads to great impact for the glory of God here in our community and throughout the world. We've been talking about our uh, Vision 2025. This last year, my goodness, we, we've been having Vision COVID-19. <laughs> Y'all agree with that? I mean, it's about the only thing that any of us can really see is like we can't really see beyond this present season. And I think that in some ways that has been really hard. In some ways, I think it's stolen life and energy and passion from us that we literally, it feels like we can't see beyond next week. Anybody with me, the snowstorm this week, and you're just like, oh, great, great, three more days at home, right? Anybody feel like it was like lockdown city again? That's why you're all here this morning at home. You're probably wishing you could be here because uh, you're just like, oh, man. I listened to the president uh, last week talking about how hopefully we'll be able to stop social distancing by next Christmas, and I was like, seriously? <laughs> I was thinking April. Oh, my word. And it just feels like, when is this going to end? But let me tell you, we got to lift our vision beyond COVID-19. Our vision is not to be defined by circumstance, but by the heart and the purposes of God. And we've got to get back to seeing God for who He is and believing God for what He desires to do and saying, God, we together who want to be a part of seeing other people come into relationship with you. This is our one heart. This is our one mind. We want to see your restoration extend through us. And part of our vision 2025, I am going to say today, we're getting back into the saddle of driving toward that vision again. We want to be a church that sees church planters raised up from our midst. We want to be a church that in the next five years plants other community churches all across this downtown community. We want to be a church that raises up global missionaries. We want to be a church that sends them out uh, to the nations. We want to be a church that is not just a church for these five or ten years that we're here, but we want to be a church that will be here for all generations. We want to work to ensure that we are a very healthy church, that we are a growing church, that we are a baptizing church, that we are a disciple-making church, that we are a sending church. We want to be a church that lives for the glory of God and the good of people. Amen? And we got to have one heart and one mind and one will. We got to have a vision for the walls being rebuilt. And we got to come together and say, God, would it be so in us and through us? Amen? This is the heart. And this is where it begins. Secondly, we see that not only does this work of extending restoration involve one purpose, but secondly, and this is our prayer toward unity. Secondly, it includes many types of work. Together toward restoration, we've got to see that this, this work extending through us includes many types of work. One of the things I love about chapter 3, and y'all are wondering, what is the prophet to chapter 3, right? One of the things I love about it is that if you look at the descriptions in chapter 3, I'll just throw up a few of the, the different things that we see here. We see... Verses 10, verse 23, 28, 29, and 30, it describes people working in their neighborhoods. We see in verse 8, it describes that people working in a tower. We see in verse 15 that some people are working it with doors. Some people are working with bolts. Some people are working with bars. 
We see in verse 13 that some people got the great assignment of working in the dung gate. (laughs) Anybody ever feel like that's your assignment? You're just like, I'm in the dung gate, man. Um, What a, that stinks, doesn't it? Oh, sorry. In verse 4, 5, 21, and 27, we, we see that some people had support roles. Some people were up front. Some people were in the role of support. The reality is, if we go through the passage, what we see here is that there are a lot of different types of work that were involved in actually getting the walls rebuilt. And if you look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, I'm skipping ahead just to pull out one verse from chapter 4, verse 6. But Nehemiah says, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. For the people had a mind to work. In other words, what happened was everybody was kind of getting together, and they were going, what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? Here's what I can do. Where do you live? Where do you live? Where do you live? How are you trained? Could you support me in this? Oh, I can do that. You see, over and over and over, they're, they're getting themselves together and they're looking and realizing, wow, like, if this restoration project is not a solo project, it's a group project, what we begin to realize is that God has put us in different places around this city. And God has gifted us and skilled us in different ways. And as we come together, what we see is a manifestation of God providing for His people all that was needed to get that wall rebuilt. There's all kinds of things that were needed to get the work of restoration accomplished, but the reality is what we see is that God was at work already because He's skilling people and He's gifting people and He's placing people to where when they came together, there was this beautiful diversity of gifts and skills and locations that actually allowed for that work of restoration to be accomplished. Many kinds of work required. Well, if we go back to that and we look at the second point that it includes many types of work, what that means for us is this, that together toward restoration, we must be contributing. We must be contributing. That's the second thing. First, we've said we must be unified. But secondly, we're realizing we must be contributing. Because what what the people realized was like, oh, like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I live here. Yeah, I, I've been trained in this. And, and all of a sudden, people began to recognize the gifts that God had given them. And they're beginning to pray, God, would you help me to see these gifts? And would you help me to steward these gifts? That's, that's their prayer. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. As Paul is encouraging the church there in Philippi. He says, let your life be lived worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or whether I'm absent, I might hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. Here it is. This is the unity piece. It involves a common purpose. We've got to stand together in one spirit. But then he says here, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving. In other words, I want to know that you are contributing I want to know that together, you're all taking your place and you're doing your part. Why? For the faith of the gospel, so that others might have the opportunity to, to be restored. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is probably the most beautiful passage that echoes what I think we see here in Nehemiah chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it describes, God describes the church like a body. And he says that this body has many parts. He says there are a variety of gifts, but there's one spirit, a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who's empowering them all and everyone. To each person is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When you're born again in the Spirit of God, one of the things that happens is the Spirit of God gifts you in particular ways to show God and to be a part of contributing to the body, the family of God, in ways that will really evidence God. 
What he says is, to each of you, just like the people of Nehemiah, to each of you has been given something beautiful of God that is purposed for the common good. In other words, for you to to invest that, to contribute that in such a way that it brings good to the whole. He goes on and he says, for to one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another knowledge of the same spirit, to another faith of the same spirit, another gifts of healing by one spirit, to another working of miracles, another prophecy, another ability to distinguish between spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What we're saying here is that together, toward restoration, we've got to understand that the work is going to, it's going to include different kinds of work. Um, if we're going to see restoration come in the lives of other people, you look out at the church as a whole and you go, man, some people need to be open in their homes. Some people need to be in the education system. Some people need to be fighting against injustice. Some people need to be working against discrimination and systems of oppression and racism. There are some of us that need to be in the clinic rooms and loving people toward Christ through the healing touch of medicine, also desiring relationships so that these people might also maybe one day experience the healing touch of God. We, we need other people that are, are loud mouths like me that are up here, you know, teaching. We need people that are holding doors as people coming in. We need people who are back in the back that are discipling children. We need people who are behind the scenes that enjoy project management and just like making sure that the lights are on and the floors are swept and the toilets are clean. We need people working at the dung gate. We, we need, look, all kinds of people, all kinds of work are needed to accomplish the beautiful, restoring purpose and vision of God. And it's not us doing it, it's God. And that's the thing is, actually beginning to take your place in the wall is, is actually first beginning to believe that this is who God is and this is how God works. Do you really believe that God has empowered you, gifted you in such a way that He uniquely wants you to be a part of something He's doing in the wall, so to speak, that no one else can do in this time and place? God has you here for a purpose, and there's all kinds of work to be involved And the beautiful thing is that these people got together and they recognized it, and they all found their place. The last thing that I want to point out this morning as we close is not only does it include all kinds of work, but together toward restoration invites all people. It invites all people. See, it's one thing to recognize that this is a possibility that God might use me in this area, but it's a whole other thing to actually choose to get involved. If you look at chapter 3 and you look at the kinds of people that were described in the chapter, you've got rulers, you've got priests. Verse 8 describes perfumers and goldsmiths. Verse 12 describes men and women. Verse 31 describes merchants. Verse 7 describes government officials. The reality is all kinds of people were invited to be a part of the work. Now, what we know from the chapter is there are some people who did not stoop to serve. It says that right there in the chapter. Verse 5, their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. There are some that chose not to get involved. But the reality is what God's invitation was to the people is for everyone to get involved. And he said, look, if you're, if you're seeing a vision for what needs to be done and, and you're desiring this restoration then, and, and you're also recognizing the different kinds of work required and how God has uniquely gifted and skilled you, then the question I'm asking you is, where are you going to plug in? Like, the invitation here is, if we're going to work together toward restoration, we must be all in. That's this last one. We must be all in. In other words, we've got to say, God, I am committed. I'm committed to serve. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read that God gives to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness of deceitful schemes. See, what he's saying is the work of ministry, here it is, right? The work of ministry, it belongs to the saints. In other words, pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, we are given to the church to equip the church, which is you, for the work of ministry. The reality is, if we are going to see the walls rebuilt, Nehemiah is sitting there saying, look, you've got you to respond to God, and you've got to find a way to plug in. You've got to find a way to get involved. It takes us all saying, God, not only do I just, I want this, it's not just in my mind and in my heart, yes, I'm unified, yes, I'm gifted, but it's not just that I recognize that I'm gifted and that I could contribute, but God, I'm taking that step and I'm going to get in the game. I'm going to actually do the work. Remember what Nehemiah said in, in chapter 4? They were all committed to work. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 describes that with the gifts that we've been given, that we are to actually plug in. (laughs) He says here, individually we're members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. Having gifts that have been given to us, you know, it's, it's one thing just to know, okay, I live in Midtown, or or to know that I'm gifted with uh, plumbing, or I'm uh, gifted with teaching, or I-, I feel called to be behind the scenes and support, or I have a passion for a women's ministry. It's one thing to, to have these understanding, this is, this is my shape, but it's a whole other thing to actually use them. If you go back to that Romans passage real quick, the Romans 12 passage, he says, having been given these gifts, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, and the one who teaches in teaching, and the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, it is not enough to know that you're gifted. What makes the difference is choosing to get involved. So if you're, if you're passionate about teaching, where are you teaching? If you're passionate about justice, where in the church are you leading the church to become more passionate about justice. If you're passionate about X, Y, or Z, if you're gifted in X, Y, or Z, how is it that we can see in the church body that making a significant difference? Where are you plugged in? And what the invitation is, it's for us to go all in because the work invites all kinds of people. So it involves one purpose, It includes many types of work, and it invites all people. And the question is, for us as we close here, will you be a part of extending God's restoration to others? Will you? I I really believe, I I told you this at the beginning, um, I really believe, look, we we see it pastorally in the numbers. We have had massive drop-off this year, massive drop-off this year in terms of people actually willing to do anything in the ministry, in an assigned ministry role. And I get it. I understand in many ways why this past year has been incredibly difficult, incredibly risky, incredibly um, just challenging in so many ways to actually figure out how to get involved. But I really believe in the season to come, it's time for us to find a way to get back in the saddle, so to speak, to find our place in the wall and to do what we can do to contribute for the good of the church, for the work of restoration extending through us. There are so many in our church that are already serving, and I'm not talking to you, but if you are in a a place where you are not presently engaged in some meaningful way to contribute to the church body, to the work of ministry, helping our church accomplish vision of restoration. My encouragement would would just be to find a way to do that. One of the best ways you can do it is to go to our church website. On our church website, you can go uh, to About Us, and you can explore opportunities uh, for for leadership. Um, 
if you want to link to the church website, all you got to do is just text ICC LEAD, one word, I-C-C-L-E-A-D, to 97,000. It'll give you a direct link to the site that I'm talking about. But one of the best ways that you could get plugged in is just to go to the site and look through the site. A couple of images will, will come up here, and you will find different ways uh, that you can actually plug in. You can see the opportunities and the needs that are out there, and you can just choose to say, okay, here's, this is part of the gate that needs repaired, or here's the door that needs repaired, or here's the part of the city that needs repaired. And you can look through that and say, here's how I want to be a part of contributing. And my encouragement to you would be in this next season just to respond to God's leadership so that restoration, yes, I want it to come to you, but it doesn't stop with you. It can extend through you. And I pray that in this next season together that we will see God's restoration extend through us. Our ministry leaders have come to me pastorally, and they've said, can you please help us find people? We, like, we can't open more kids' classrooms right now because we're shortage of teachers. We just don't have people who are willing to help. Uh, we are struggling in, in so many different areas, in global missions and local ministry, to even begin to, to keep our commitments up. And a lot of it is because those commitments were not meant to be maintained by our staff team. They were meant to be led by our church. And the reality is it takes every one of us to, to be willing to, to see the common purpose we have, the, the different types of work required, and then to understand that God wants to involve us in it. It, it, it includes all of us. And I just pray that in this next season, that just like you were excited, some of us today, to get out of the house and get, do something, uh, that, that maybe after a season of, of kind of being on the sidelines or being a bit disconnected, that maybe it's time to just say, I, I'm ready to get back involved and invested in ministry. So let me pray for us as we conclude this morning and uh, our worship team comes. And I just want to continue to pray that God will restore you in ways that you need restoration because I know that it begins with you. But I also am praying that God will allow His grace to extend through you. Because there are so many that I believe God wants to allow you to be a part of bringing restoration to as well. So Father, I just pray today, Lord, thanks that you are Jehovah Rapha. I just want to praise you, Lord, that you are a restoring God. You are a healer. Lord, I pray for every person that is with us today, Lord. I pray that in this process, this journey toward you in this Lenten season, the season of renewal, Lord, I pray that you would bless. Lord, that if there's anyone here that has, there's a disconnect between what you desire and what presently is, and they have not been broken yet, Lord, I pray that right now that you would break them, whether it's over sin that has not been repented of, and surrendered, whether it's over circumstance that has not been released. Maybe there's people still trying to hang on to control, but Lord, we need brokenness. Whether it's just loss and hurt and pain, Lord, that just needs to be grieved and brought to you. Oh God, I pray that you would grace us right now with just, just honesty, a humble and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. And Lord, that we would move towards you and that we would call out to you. And Lord, that we would be willing and ready. Oh God, would you bring restoration to everyone who needs it. Lord, would you grace them with your Holy Spirit. Would you touch them and heal them. Thank you, Lord, for your cross. Thank you for your love and your grace and your finished work and your life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus, it is by your wounds that we can be healed. It is because you are alive that we can call out to you and be saved and restored. So God, I pray that. But Lord, I also pray for those of us who are experiencing your restoration, Lord, that we would have an earnest desire to allow other people to experience you too. So Father, I pray that you would help us to see how it is, Lord, that you want us to come together to get back toward a vision and a purpose of the brokenness in our relationships, in our city, our family, our community, our, our world, Lord, being healed. And Lord, the vision of us being a part of that work. 
Lord, would you help us to recognize how you've gifted us, how you've skilled us, how you've experienced us. Lord, help us to see that there is a place for us. By your Spirit, you've appointed a gift for us for the common good. And Lord, help us to want to be involved. I pray, Lord, for those who are sitting on the sidelines, Lord, that maybe this week they would just just have conversations with you in prayer and your word and with other people who love you. And just be honest about that and be willing to move towards some kind of commitment to engage in a meaningful ministry that others might be restored because we are willing to get involved. Thank you, Lord. And uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.